All right, we're going to dig in. I want to start, because this is a series, I do want to just briefly touch on some things we looked at last week. I presented, you know, we're, we're called by God to grow closer to Him. It's really simple in the sense of, as a born-again Christian, when you're born again, you're a new creation in Christ. You're, it literally speaks, you're not just cleaning up your act and getting religious and improving your life. You're born again, you're a new creation, a new person. And so in this new life, how do you now live? How do you kind of go about living this? And so the letter to the Corinthians was very instructive on how to live this new life. They brought in cultural things that were rather confusing. How do we deal with this food that's offered to idols? Can I, as a Christian, now consume this food that was offered to idols? It was, in their culture, it was a little confusing. So what we have is this corrective, instructive letter because we're actually invited to live and love at a higher level. Before you're born again, you're living in a horizontal plane, if you want to see it that way. Being born from above, born again, you now have God and the person of the Holy Spirit living within you, literally. And so now you've received from above as you exist on this level. So how do I live with the awareness of above while I reside in this residence, in this place, how do we live in love at a higher level? Last week, we looked at four points, and I want to bring those up. Those four points. How do we live and love at a higher level? Well, the first thing is be teachable. Be teachable. And so that's a personal level. That's a personal thing. I don't have anything to say to you. You need to know this, or you need to do this. You, you, you yourself will have a sense of prompting. You, do you know what area of Scripture you're weak and where you're strong? If you do, then you make a conscious adjustment. Okay, okay, I need to strengthen this and rejoice in this. So are you teachable? But being teachable is just the first part of it. Wouldn't be willing to change be important? If you've been around very long with employees or with siblings or with parents, you may be willing, some people are willing to listen, but they ain't going to do it. Right? I mean, it's like, oh, that's cool. This is the one, I, this is so humorous to me. I hear this a lot in our modern vernacular. You say, hey, will you be interested in doing this and part of this to somebody? And, that? and there's a broad range of application here. Would you be interested in helping this? Oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. That's, that's great. Have you ever heard that? That type of response? That's great. That's wonderful. You know what you didn't get? Commitment. They just agreed you have a great idea. You walk away thinking they're a part of it. They walk away doing something else. And this is a parental to child. I'm humored by it more and more. Like, hmm, there was no commitment there. And so I thought they were going to be here, but obviously it's on me because they never said they were going to take out the trash. They just agreed it should be taken out. Fascinating. Be willing to change, to implement or initiate. Living in love at a higher level means we also want to keep this in the uh, intentional element of our reasoning. I want to honor God with all my life. Whether I'm at work, whether I'm out fishing, whether I'm whatever, what my life, wherever, all the facets and varieties and elements to life. I just want to have that in the forefront. And it helps you when you're in areas where you're tempted or maybe you feel sorry for yourself or there's just things you're working through just keep bringing this to the forefront okay my, i intend i want to honor god with all of my life 
in relationships, in vocation, in everything. And then when you're not sure what to do, choose love. When you're not sure what to do, just choose love. When you know what you want to do, stop and then choose love. Because some people just aren't lovable. Not easily. You have to learn to love them. You have to love with a power that's not personally developed, but divinely implanted. When you're born again, you receive the power to love through the presence of God as he indwells you. So now you can live in love beyond your preset limits. You have the capacity. So we have to learn to choose love. With that, we're going to launch now into the remaining portion of chapter 9. Read with me, if you would, beginning in verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. Verse 22, to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all men means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Glancing back as a walkthrough now to verse 19. Notice he says, I'm free to serve, to be a servant of all. I'm free to serve. Wait, what? You're, you're free to serve? Yeah, free to serve. It's really fascinating because isn't that contrary, contrary and, and our culture is contradictory to that? You know, our culture is oriented so much about acquisition and success and, you know, striving and doing and all these things. And not that that's so necessarily bad, but it's like it's self-motivated so frequently. And it's so smothered by self that we can't see through the, 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 uh, um, the cloud of that philosophy. But God is saying, listen, you're free to serve. To actually, you've been liberated. Paul's saying, I've been freed from myself, quite honestly. I don't have to do what I did before. Now in this new life, I'm, I'm actually free to serve God. Well, why would, why, would he be, why would he want to serve? Well, I think it's because he understands the depth, at least the entry point of the forgiveness that he's experienced from the living God. And he's like, man, I don't want to live at a horizontal plane exclusively. I want, I want to have a greater understanding. So he's, he's free to serve. Think of it this way. Um, if you're traveling and say you're just on this dirt road and you're out in past Elmore County and you're in deep Owyhee County on a dirt road, don't ask me why, but you're there and you're driving along and you come across somebody who's broken down out in the desert 
And, and they've been there for a little while, maybe a couple of days even. And they're thirsty and they're starving. They're very hungry. And you are free to do what? What are you free to do? So you're free to say, hey, how's it going, man? Good luck. Hope it all works out. Sending up good vibes for you, brother. It's like, can I rant a little bit? What does that mean? Sending up good vibes. It's like some type of merger between the Beach Boys and the Tower of Babel attitude. You know, I'm giving up good vibrations and sending them up to, to God for you. And maybe it's a prayer. I'm just so old, I don't understand some of the vernacular. But I don't get the good vibes thing. But you could say that, hey man, just sending up good vibes for you. Gotta go, hope it works out. Boom. You have the freedom to do that. You could. So it's possible. I'm just throwing out a totally hypothetical situation. Not really probable that this would ever come through a male brain. But suppose you're with your husband. He's driving and you come up and he's, man, we don't have time for this. You know, someone else will come along. They can help. Because guys drive different. We drive to get to the destination. You can wait to go to the bathroom. Those things, we got to get there. And I know it's, not, it's really odd and probably totally unlikely that any male would suggest that. You know, but you, you, it's, it's true though. You've probably been in a situation like, I'm just going to look the other way. I don't have time for this. And just, you have, you have the freedom to do that. Or you're free to serve the person in need. You're free to stop, assess the scenario, see the situation, stirred with even a, a glimpse of human empathy and compassion, to then go to your travel cooler, grab your only bottle, bottle of water, grab your only sandwich, grab your only apple, and give them your only jacket. You're free to do that. You actually have that opportunity to, to serve them. What do you have? Well, hopefully, as you are serving them those things of physical need, you will see or even be given an opportunity to speak of the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Silver and gold you don't have enough of, but what you do have you can give to them, we read in the book of Acts, that they would introduce them to Jesus. Because even within that analogy... Food is good. Water's good. Shelter's good. But death will still come. So what do you have to give them? What you have? You've been given eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Share what you have. We just, it's so simple in a, in a, in a uh, concept. It's not simple in a practice. Is that, a lot of, life is that way. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of things that are real simple in concept. It's just really hard to do it all the time. Well, it's really simple. Share what you have. I think one of the most beautiful stories from Scripture to convey this is actually from um, the Old Testament uh, record, the story of Queen Esther. So I, I just have said something referencing the Old Testament. i got to make sure you understand how I have covertly suckered you into a Bible study. Because when I mention to you Queen Esther, that's... Uh, a subliminal assignment. 
You go home and you now have to read Queen Esther. You got to read about this story. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to dig in. Oh, man, that's beautiful. So I'm going to do that about three times. I know you didn't sign up for it, but there's a request or complaint form. I'll show you where they are later. They can float down the gutter on the leaf. Anyway, I'm just saying, I just want to encourage you because I know this. I've sat in Bible studies. I've sat under messages on Sunday, and I've been touched. I've been stirred. I've heard them. But I didn't take the effort to turn it into a practice. I didn't really go home and go, okay, so why did that part stick with me? Why did, what is he referring to in Esther? So just see it that way and be encouraged. Whether you're listening to me or listening online or whatever, when the living God stirs your heart to a truth and a concept, take hold of it and unearth it. Open it up and see what it holds. So let me go back to my point. Queen Esther. How is she an example of, of choosing to serve people? Well, she was selected by a pagan king to be one of the harem and possibly be the queen. Well, she, she passed the test, so to speak. They trained her, they quizzed her, they got her ready, and, they, and she became the queen. But she was Jewish. She was a Jew. And, and, and one of the people within the government cabinet was in specific, was crazy, really. It was so evil. A guy by the name of Haman. Well, he ends up it getting this decree sent out to basically try to kill off the Jews. Well, Queen Esther, Uncle Mordecai, comes to the queen and says, hey, we got something going down here you need to be aware of. You know. And she's confused. What do I do? What do I do? If I even try to approach the queen in this government establishment, or the king in this government establishment, the king can have me killed just for coming into his presence without invitation. So she's like, okay, what do I do? Well, Uncle Mordecai reminds her of something that I believe has application for you and me. You'll find it in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Mordecai says, for if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Beautiful statement there underlined. It's like, who knows whether you and I are here for a greater purpose than we realize. I actually think it answers itself. She chose to actually serve the people at great risk to herself, to a measure of sacrifice, of course. And yet she's seen the hand of God. She chose to, to serve people. Free to serve, choose love. Moving on in our text, I want to bring out one other point in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9. It, it, there, you're, you're free, I'm free to be a servant to the people. This is really important. It sounds so simple. It's just two letters. There's a difference between a servant of the people and a servant to the people. You and I, as Bonacan Christians, are bond servant, bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're his servants extending his hand to the people of this planet, serving them, but we're serving him. Does that make sense? Because if you get to where you serve people, you then have to then follow the dictates and the mandates of the people. You have to see what they want, and then you have to do what they do or want you to do. Paul was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Serving Jesus meant that Paul was his hand, his heart extended in service to people. What people? Well, it says there in verse 19, a servant to all. Well, he, he didn't mean liberals. 
or Democrats or some of those people. We have a different scenario in our culture. We, don't, we have a, an odd split in the divide in the political spectrum where we're told to p- park in one camp or the other. They didn't know what we would go through. Excuse me? Do you understand what the Jewish nation was going through? They were oppressed by a secular government. They had a secular government over the top of them. They, the Jews, had history. They had focus. They had ancestry. They had guidelines. They had the word of God for them. And they were under an oppressive, immoral, unethical, sexually perverse, sexually obsessed society. Now, I know that doesn't apply now, but that's what they were going through. That's what they had to deal with. And and you know what he said? I'm a servant to all. I don't think we get it. I really don't. I don't. I'm learning it because I'm forcing myself to to dig deeper. Like, man, what was it like to be engaging with somebody so absolutely contrary to your values, to the very things that are important to you? How How did he serve them? How did he go about this? He's free to serve them. All of them. Well, let's consider verse 20 and 21. He said, to the Jews, I was like a Jew. Verse 21, to those who were without the law, which would be the non-Jew or Gentile, I I was aware of that. I want to just combine those two verses and just say it very simply. Be respectful. It's a really simple concept once again. Uh, We know it. It's just hard to do it. Treat people the way you would want to be treated. What if you treated someone who's completely different than you in the sense of their expressed values, their expressed opinion and position and and whatever? What if you actually just learn to respect them as a person and and somehow open up some type of engagement, some type of interaction? You do not compromise the, the, the message, but you do modify the method. Does that make sense? You do not compromise the message, but you modify the method. What I speak of is relational engagement always has a variety of expressions. Uh, verbalization, relational engagement will always have a variety of expressions. Let me give you this example. I have an older brother who's like a year older than me and a younger brother, five years younger. And so the three of us as brothers, we're talking about something that we experienced or, or maybe something that we've done. And, and Maybe those of you with siblings, you know where I'm going with this. You know, we, we can be very bold, very loud, very egotistical, even physical. When we're talking about something, oh, man, that was so awesome. You're such an idiot, though. You didn't catch that fish. Moron, poof, you know. And we're, there's, there, that's a different type of engagement that is, is, is oriented around the experience that we have as brothers. But when we share that story with grandma... We have a different expression. We're not changing the truth. We're just saying something different. You know, I'm telling grandma, we're respectful. We're quieter. We're more polite. than we. But you see what I'm saying? It's a relational reality that communication has a variety of expressions. It's like if you have two people that are very excited about something. And they're in the car and they're just so zealous and you just kind of like are excited about this thing. And they're just talking it up. And they go walking into the coffee shop. I didn't say any gender. I'm just saying. So they go into the coffee shop. This is so cool. I just think that's a wonderful message. And they see a friend who, you know, is curious but not interested in what they're talking about. 
Well, guess what? They temper their zeal if they have any empathy. They come into the presence of this other person and they communicate with awareness. And that's really what Paul's saying. Some people have, I think they've just misunderstood. It's not a compromise of the message. You're just respectful of the person because you want to, I, I love this phrase, I'm glad God kind of coined it or gave it to me to continue to share with you. You and I, in our walk with Jesus, we want to live out the love we've been given. I have love within me that I haven't tapped entirely into. I haven't really grasped the expression that can be. But, but I want to live it out. I don't, I, you, can't, you cannot, you cannot bottle up the love of God that is within you. It will consume you and not in a good way. Because it'll create self-love because you're not allowing the love of God to be expressed and, and poured into and flow onto the lives of the people around you. So it becomes self-love. It's, it's, it's like having a flow of water and it's coming here and it comes to a larger hole and it fills up, but you don't let it flow out. So what happens to this part that fills up? It's called a stink hole. It's called stagnant. It doesn't do any good. You know, eventually when the, when the flow then diminishes, it's just, it's, you've seen them, the, the ponds. Don't let your heart be that. We let that love that's poured into you to flow forth from you. Live out this love. Live in love at a higher level is our encouragement. We see Paul expressing this. Now notice also he says here in, in verse 22, you know, I, to the weak I speak as weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He wasn't the Savior. He was introducing them to the Savior. He was an instrument to bring the hope of the gospel to people. We have been entrusted with the words of eternal life. So share what you have. Some of you are here or listening online, and you're like, I don't know the Bible like you do, Pastor Dan. Let me tell you something. I don't know the Bible that well. This is what I've discovered. The more I open it up, the more I dig into it, the more I realize how little I know. It's not statistical, mathematical, in the sense of like, the more you discover, the, the more you know, and eventually you know enough. No, it's really bizarre in a, in a great and encouraging way. The more I unearth, the more I discover, the more I discover, the more I long for. And the less the focus becomes about my knowledge and rather a hunger for the knowledge of God. And it's the same for you. You may say, well, I, I don't know the Bible very well. Just share what you have. If a verse rings true, if there's something in your mind or a, a proverb, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him. If that resonates with you, then say, God, just, is there somewhere I can share that? Is there somebody I can just somehow, maybe in totality with the address, Proverbs 3, or maybe in clips, can I just let that come forth from me that so I could just share what I have? I want to encourage you to share what you have. And when it says, you know, to the weak, always remember that's not inferior. To the weak, it literally it would speak of someone who's in need of knowledge or wisdom or nourishment. Share what you have. Some years ago, um, I, uh, my editor's working here a little bit. Yeah, I'll share it. So, you didn't know I had one, did you? So anyway, um, I'm out in the lobby after second service, and I'm guessing maybe just for the story, the, my memory, this little guy's like six or seven, 
by the name of Liam Llewellyn. And he comes to me, and, 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 and I'm out in the lobby, and I remember, I just was, I sensed I was prompted. I just sat down in the lobby, kind of off a little bit, and he come up to me. His mom, Chris, is wanting him to share, talk to me about something that happened in class. It wasn't on the positive side either. And so I'm, I just sat down, and I just looked at him in the eye. And I, I'm asking him and talking to him, and I was so encouraged, because here he's just have, real inquisitive, and he's looking at me, but then he's... And then he's like, he asked these questions, and he's like, oh. And then he headed to the playground. That's all it was. I, I had nothing. I, I just said, like, I don't know that I did anything. But here's what, why it kind of stirred my heart to share that, is because he just needed to hear something. He said, I don't know. I don't know the depth of how it impacted him. He tragically lost his life in, in just, just a year or two ago. And that's why part I want to share that story. Don't let tragedy rob you of treasures. Don't let tragedy rob you of treasures. Some of you have went through some really hard times, and I know it's hard, but hold on to the treasures because actually God uses you in so many different powerful ways. So I want to encourage you, just share what you have. Some people are in need of encouragement, just a word of exhortation, some knowledge, some wisdom, some nourishment. It's such an exciting thing. And look what Paul says in verse 23. In sharing the gospel, he is growing with them. I do this for the gospel's sake. So it's, it's for your benefit, the recipient's benefit, to know the gospel. But he sees also that I may be a partaker of it with you. I get to partner with you. I get to be a vessel that it can go through, and I see you grow, and then I'm encouraged by your growth, and you've been there. If you've taught Sunday school, or you've been in a men's group, or a women's group, or a group where people are studying the word and being discipled, you're like, man, this is awesome. We're growing together. Paul understood the importance of being free to serve. Free to serve. And I want to take that knowing that your, I, we are all growing together. Let's look at two examples from the book of Acts where Paul, we know practically, and what I mean by the real world way, there's examples of being free to serve. He was free to serve. Well, the first one we'd look at is in Acts 16. And if you caught what I said earlier, you now triggered, I think there's a homework assignment related to this portion. Yes, I would encourage you as you get home today, not only to read the story of Esther, but also Acts 16, specifically verses 16 to 40. It's a beautiful story, a fantastic account of what God did in the, in the growth of what we know to be his, his, his body, the believers, what we refer to as the church. He did this amazing work there in Philippi. But I want to orient a little bit on um, the latter part. So let me give you the context. Paul's in Philippi. He's been falsely accused. He was arrested. He was beaten, thrown in a terrible jail. I mean, not conditions you can even imagine compared to what we have our jails. So he's thrown in jail. He actually is praising God while he's in jail. And then they come to say, okay, we've kind of made a mistake. So let's pick it up in verse 35 of Acts 16. Now, we're thinking about, okay, how, how did Paul serve people? He was free to serve. When, when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go 
Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Catch this. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they had heard that they were Romans. When they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and into the house of Lydia, and where they had seen the brethren, and they encouraged them and departed. So look through that story there in Acts 16. If you're a focus group attendee on the Wednesday night thing, look into this, dig into this a little deeper. But for our point right here, I want you to see that being free to serve someone doesn't mean you're a doormat. Doesn't mean that you're to be walked on. Paul had his citizenship. He understood his, who he was as a person and what he had in a sense of citizenship and his nationality as a Roman. And so, what's interesting, how's that, what's that got to do with serving people? Paul, I believe, knew he leaves almost cowardly, runs out of there because somebody opened the gate. He's going to leave this small Bible study, this little group of believers, very vulnerable to what's proven to be an unreasonable government. And so he exercises his citizenship, his rights, saying, dude, you're not going to just send us out. Those guys who illegally locked us up, those magistrates, bring them here. They can walk us out of here. And it's like, I'm sure the keeper of the gate going, oh, I ain't going to tell them. I don't want, whoa. Or maybe he's like, oh, this is going to be good. You know, who knows? But do you see what Paul did? He served that small group of believers by stand, taking a stand against an oppressive government. Not, that doesn't have anything to do with us in America. But just, just, he just took a stand because he had that right as a citizen, and he was concerned about them. He took that stand. He, he was willing to just like speak boldly to them, quite honestly. One other one we can consider. It's actually just next chapter there in Acts, verse 17. I um, encourage you to dig into that one as well, picking up in verse 16. What's happening now, Paul has traveled. He's over in Athens, and he's waiting for uh, Timothy and Silas to arrive and some others. And so he goes into the marketplace. And when he goes into the marketplace, notice what happened in his own life. In chapter 17, verse 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was holy or completely given over to idols. What, what do we see from that in regard to serving people? Paul goes into the community. He's respectful. He, he's not judgmental. And he's, just, he's not just killing time. He could have just stayed in a tent somewhere or whatever. But he chose to go into the city, into the marketplace, and he was provoked inside in other words, he was just stirred with concern because the people were so busy and so sold out and so given over to money, to self-gain, to acquisition, to whether it be wealth, whether it be prominence, whether it be position, whether it be identity, whatever. They're given over to these horizontal things. And he's like, man, those things are, what is an idol? An idol is a handmade, man-made item that people direct their devotion to thinking that it will bring what they long for. 
And the Bible says, that's crazy. You made it. Now you elevate it. And you think it's going to somehow bring power to you. It's powerless. There's nothing in it. It'll, It'll take you so far and throw you down. And all these things of this world that we know that to be true. So he's like, man, they got this and they got that. But they don't have eternal life. He was provoked within, stirred to, 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 to deal with it. And so we know as you read the story, you're going to see he walks through the marketplace and he's, he's engaging. He was in the synagogue first, but he's engaging with the people. And they call him a seed picker, a babbler. It means he just takes doctrine and all this stuff, and he's just kind of one of these guys. But he was invited to go up on the Areopagus, Mars Hill, where the philosophizers hung out and even allowed to speak. And he says, I noticed this in my wandering through your community, in my moving through the marketplace. I noticed that you have all kinds of of idols and all these things built. You're you're kind of a spiritually minded people. And, And I noticed you even have one it was, it was to the temple. It was built to the unknown God. They're polytheistic, meaning they have all kinds of theism, all the belief about who God is. And so he recognized that, and he used it as a teaching point. He didn't say, you guys are so dumb. Seriously. You know, you guys throw up anything can be an idol. Instead, he said, listen, you have one, because you understand the logic, right? If you have a lot of gods, and there's always more gods, and so now you're sitting around the coffee shop philosophizing about your polytheism. And you're like, wow, whoa, wait a minute. What if we missed one? What if the one we missed controls lightning? What if he's going to zap us because we didn't miss him? Oh, good point. We better have an idol to the unknown God. We don't know your name, but we're going to worship you anyway. I mean, that's really almost the logic pattern. And so Paul says, I know you even have one of the unknown God. Let me tell you about that God you don't know. Isn't that beautiful, the way he you know, correlates it? And many people inadvertently, wrongly, I believe, discuss the fruit of that particular message when the point is the point of the message, the reason for the message. So I'm just saying Paul chose to serve. He just respected the people that were completely different than him. And he was willing to engage and connect. And there's a lot of great examples for myself and really for all of us and how to um, be free to serve other people. Picking up over in verse 24 back there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as we're bringing this to a close because we're going to be taking communion today. So in verse 24, I'm just going to summarize 24 through even 26 with this. We're reading about Paul's life as God has worked in and through him. And in a season when he is prompted by the Holy Spirit, God's heart coming through the hand of Paul in the form of a letter to the church in Corinth. But we also have another letter later down the road. Not just 2 Corinthians, but we have a letter much later. When Paul is near the day of departure, when he is near, he knows he's soon going to be with the Lord. And this is what he said, not boasting, but encouraging, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see what he's over here and writing right here. We're reading here, but reflecting here. 
He's like, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. That's why we see this analogy, this picture. The, the, I think they're called the Isthmian Games, the Corinthian Games, were just one step below what we know now as the Olympic Games. So they were, they were very much into competition and athletics and all this stuff. So he uses this picture and he says, you know, I run intentionally. And do you not, you know, the question is no room for variation in the answer. Do you not know all that run, run with the intention to win? No one signs up like, eh, I just hope I finish. Well, I mean, maybe your first time. But after you've done it, you're like, no, I want to win. He says, don't they all run? They run in such, so run in such a way that you may attain, you win. You don't compete with other Christians. You want to live your life to the fullest. I want to, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. I want to do it in the way God would lead me. He says, you know, run in a way to win. And when you compete, you know, be temperate, speaking of self-control, focus, really bringing the faculties into a central point, a central focus. I, I'm going to be in this body, but I want to be aware of where God would direct me. And they compete for a crown of leaves, a perishable. They literally, that was their trophy. This, this plant, this branch, woven into a crown with leaves on it. And, and guess what it looked like about two weeks later? I don't know how they'd preserve it any longer. I doubt it'd make it that long. They do all of this for this little thing that's perishing. He says, we persevere for the king of kings. We persevere, you and I, we persevere with eternity in view. And here they're so driven, there's a really important principle to consider and ponder. Man, they, you know, people do these things for things they're going to lose. And we have something we can't lose, but are we lackadaisical? Or are we like, okay, it's not self-work, but it is, there's an element of, of choosing to discipline yourself and bring your body into subjection. I don't just punch at the wind. I don't just run aimlessly hoping I'll end up somewhere. You know, I want to be centered in the Word. I want to grow in the Word. I want to let each season be a season, but I want to continue to focus on Him and seeing, okay, man, I want to, I want to, I want to live in this, this realm, if you would. And he, so he just said, I, I, don't, I, just, I want to win well. He's not bragging. He's encouraging you and I. Verse 27, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. You're disqualified. What does that mean? It's not salvation. Don't, don't inadvertently attach something that's not present in the text. Your words and your way of life need to complement, not contradict. For, for, from you guys, well, it's just all of us, we can get this. If you, if you have ever looked at, like, say, transmission gear sets and clusters, or maybe you've only had a spirograph. Does anybody know what a spirograph is? You're old. <laughs> so spirograph is a little gear thing. So guess what? Gear sets. They, they need to go like this, not like this. They need to synchronize. They need to be in set. And so your way of life and the words need to not grind on each other, but rather be a strength and a complement. Be synchronized together. What you do and what you, what you say, they should sync. If they don't, your witness, what people see, is weak, and it disqualifies your words. It doesn't disqualify the word. It disqualifies your word. You can say, oh, yeah, I'm this and I'm that, and I believe Jesus, and I do this. But if your lifestyle doesn't parallel with your words, people will call you a word that begins with an H. 
a hypocrite. Yeah, you're, you're just saying this, but you're doing this. And sadly, you know what happened? This is really, to me, is very sad. Because people make the association, because you're a flake, God must be flaky. Therefore, because of the way you are, I don't believe there is a God. I think it's a cheap cop-out. When someone says, well, this church is full of a bunch of hypocrites, I'm like, well, come on in. One more won't hurt. I mean, really, because you probably know your own life. But more so, I would convey to them, like, well, let's be cautious. Let's not look at somebody who does not represent well and say that person is the way, that, the way God is. Therefore, I want nothing to do with God because this guy's a squid. You don't do that in any other area. You don't say, you know, I took my car to a mechanic, and he just messed it up, cost me a ton. I'm not having my car worked on again. Let me know how that works out for you. You don't, you don't say, I went to the doctor, and he was so mad. He had terrible bedside manners. He prescribed the wrong thing. I was sick for longer. I, went, I come out worse shape than I went in. I'm never going to a doctor again. You, you don't apply that, right? Why do people say, well, that person doesn't represent God well, so God must be bad? I, I don't think it's a fair association. But more accurately, I would say it's important that we understand our representation. That we do represent God. And I believe we should be able to say, hey, listen, I want my words to be in sync. I don't want to stand before you and say one thing, do something different in the home, in the community, knowing that you're smart enough and we're all, we realize hey, that guy's a fraud. He says one thing on Sunday morning, he lives totally different. I, I want nothing to do with it. Which I hope is what you would say if you've seen that difference. I, you're not going to see it, but you know. Now it's not like I'm bragging, but I just know what God's doing in my life. I'm a weak vessel that is God's pouring into through you, through relationships, through life, and I'm getting stronger, and I believe you're doing the same thing. I think you're growing in the same way. All that to say, discipline your body, bring it into subjection. Let the inner man be the master and the outer man be the servant. It's a really good way to just summarize it. Let the inner man, where, where God is leading you and teaching you, be the master. Let the outer man be the servant to that master. Mm -hmm.